looking for the king of podcasts, you're at the wrong channel. Looking for good ideas for life, you are far from good hands. If you think the listener is always right, you are far from the right place. Hosted by a Northeasterner by birth, a rebel by choice. If you want a host that floats between love and madness, then play on and listen to Crazy Train Radio. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Mmm, I love scotch. I love scotch. Scotch is got scotch. Here it goes down. Down into my belly. Mm -mm Mmm-mm-mm. Don't mess with me, I'm one crazy mofo. Hey there, Friday fans. We know how much you enjoy the movies. Enjoy grabbing your Friday merchandise and interacting with the Friday family, whether it be at conventions or during our particular watch-alongs. Well, when you're looking to get yourself masks, why not check out our friends over at Camp Blood Customs out of New York State and order your specific custom mask from any other films. All orders are made specifically. Your needs and wants are. Make sure you find Camp Blood Customs on Facebook, Instagram, and all over social media and order yours today. This is Joey Chaos, and you're listening to Crazy Train Radio. Hey folks, it's your least favorite host in a podcast world. Rock 
Jonathan Steele. And I'm Elena, your favorite host from the Emerald Isles. Boy, do we have a good one for you today. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, and it includes the bigger children, such as Dr. Mike Lano. However, he has another get here as far as a guests and this man has really come through the ranks you know he started training and we know everything on the internet is true somewhere like <laughs> as dr mike is shaking his head you know because he knows i'm right with that but anyway he uh started training somewhere like 14 years old in 94 you would know his uncle who was known as supreme in xpw but Chaos, Joey Chaos Nunez. Dr. Mike, would you like to uh, speak a little more for an introduction for this next guy? Okay, well, I'll try to be brief today and throw more questions to Jonathan there. Jonathan, you have a big get. I'm so jealous I can't make it unless for some reason the interview gets delayed. Uh, which of the Ramones is it on Fridays of the Last Survivor? Richie, Richie. Richie, because... Is, I forget which one is at the Hollywood Cemetery. And I took pictures of, you know, it's a big elaborate mausoleum with a big statue of him with a mic and I think a guitar. And that was just covered on a PBS special, which has got to be the most morbid title uh, next to stuff in wrestling like Dark Side is uh, the world's greatest cemeteries. But it, at the Hollywood Forever Cemetery is uh, uh, one of the Ramones. It's not Joey. Uh, it's one of the other ones. But ones. speaking of Joey's, why don't we bring it back to yes, this I know. Joey, <laughs> chaos, a man I knew because I was working for, you know, one of the bosses or it, it wasn't really Rob Black so much as my boss was Kevin Kleinrock in XPW and then Wrestling Society X, which was strictly Kevin's product project with MTV. Joey, a big part of those. But Joey and Supreme, his uncle, so these are wonderful people, super people. Everybody in the business loves them. They have that rare quality like Red Bastine. Nobody can say a mean thing about them. Everybody in the industry is aware of them. And then, of course, Joey Chaos, beyond being a fantastic wrestler, he can do everything. Matt Chain, Brawl, and, of course, the hardcore stuff we saw in XPW. But he's got Santino Brothers. I think he was... The lead, well, he can tell us about how he founded and run Santino Brothers, which is one of the most prestigious wrestling schools in the world. I mean, everybody's been there. A lot of famous people, WWE, etc., have finessed there. Uh, so, really, Joey, let's start at the beginning and and find out how how did you start following wrestling? You know, I'm sure it was as a child as we all did. And how did you break in? Who broke you in? Well, hey, thank you guys. That was a great introduction. I really appreciate it, uh, Mike and 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 Jonathan. <laughs> um, but yeah, I I actually, you know, I liked wrestling like everybody else. Um, you know, I, I think I like to say it like that. And you know, from from Saturday mornings of watching cartoons, um, you know, and then as I got a little older, I would graduate and start not wanting to watch the cartoons anymore, and maybe want want to watch the wrestling because I felt a little bit older. Um, and that was kind of my extent to, to really wrestling. It was honestly, it was, uh, I think it was like WWE superstars, WWF superstars at the time, um, at 12 noon. And it was on, on Fox 11. 
Um, and I remember, you know, just really getting excited when it wasn't, I didn't even know that they were jobber matches and it would just, you know, you'd have, uh, you'd have the guys come in and you'd have Bret Hart and sometimes you'd even have, uh, all Tatanka and all these guys and Shawn Michaels and they'd be wrestling these guys. I had no clue they were jobbers, but I just know that they would, they would beat these guys up. And so that was kind of my extent, but my uncle Supreme, now he was the incredibly huge professional wrestling fan. And in turn, I was a huge fan of my uncle Supreme. So Whatever he was going to do, whether it was going to the comic book store in Eagle Rock, um, going to the movie theater, the Egyptian on Hollywood Boulevard, um, or... Wait, what was it the Egyptian? Because I grew up in L.A. too. What was it the... Uh, that was my haunt. Every weekend, I'd get <laughs> Richard Dawson's kids. You know Richard Dawson, the family feud? Yeah, yeah. And he was in the, the movie with Schwarzenegger and Jesse Ventura, who played the game show host in that. But... Um, his friends, his, excuse me, his two sons, Mark and Gary, were my best friends since kindergarten. And we had that ritual every Saturday because I was already shooting for Jeff Walton at the Olympic for that promotion, I think, well before you were born. And we would hit Hollywood Boulevard and then Farmer's Markets for those wrestling uh, magazine stores. There was a place right off of uh, Hollywood and Vine, Bond Street Books, that sold, I mean, vintage 50s, 60s when the wrestling magazines were just half boxing, half wrestling, all kinds of old issues. It was insane. We used to have about 20, 21 titles, monthly titles back then from the Stanley Weston ones, which were before PWI, it was the wrestler inside wrestling, et cetera. But, and then we'd go to the KCOP channel 13 studio tapings in LA, which was the Mike LaBelle. That was the big show where most of the angles happened until they lost KCOP. But that was the English version with, uh, Jimmy Lennon Sr. and Dick Lane, and the Wednesday night thing that was the syndicated program, Lucha Libre, that was half Spanish. It was weird because you'd have Miguel Alonso, Luis Magana doing the commentary in Spanish, but then all the inter interviews were being done by Gene LaBelle, Jeff Walton primarily in English. And, uh, you know, so it was a good transition y thing. And a lot of wrestlers, American wrestlers from Blassie and Tolis. Uh, and the Sheik, et cetera, would have to learn if they're working against Pepper Gomez or somebody actually from Mexico City who learned to work the left side, the totally opposite side from what they're accustomed to. And I do want to say credit to Joey uh, Chaos here. He was the most uh, upbeat person and kind of the star of the dark side of the ring on XPW, that episode on uh, Access. And uh, I, I've been told by my photo editor, we're going to get another season of that. So I've worked supplying photos since season one. But so how do you transition, Joey? And then I want to throw to Jonathan. Uh, or So Supreme, are we allowed to say, you know, I never found out what his like real name, and maybe it's Hispanic because he spoke perfect English. And I want to throw up some photos before I start showing photos of you. Let me, okay. Let's see if you can see this one. This is Supreme, and oh, I think yeah. it's John Cronus. Supreme and Axel, actually. Axel oh, sorry, yeah. Axel's on the other end of uh, your Uncle Supreme hitting him with a <laughs> yeah. chair. And, of course, now here we have Cronus and Axel. So this is a three-way. Let's see if you can see it. Uh, Supreme in the center and then the Cronus and uh, Oh, Axel yeah. Right. that's That definitely looks like it's going to be at the um, Palace in Hollywood for yeah. XPW. Yeah, because we had all kinds yeah. of venues. I rode the car up with Jasmine St. Clair and Ron Jeremy, our Poor friend Ron Jeremy now 
I hope he somehow gets out of jail. Maybe we can send him a, a cake with files in it. <laughs> been following that thing. Remember he had the casting couch was like Rob Black and XPW, the Piper's Pit segment, but it was the casting couch with Ron Jeremy. It was. What yeah. an actor he was. I mean, who would know that this guy loved wrestling? So I'm just throwing up, look at poor Supreme. He's about ready to, uh, he's, Right in the foreground is a bed of thumbtacks, yeah. but he get nailed with uh, a shitload of barbed wire. Can you see this photo? Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That, yes, I think that was that. That was a great match they had at the uh, at the sports the arena. Matches, I think, and uh, they're yeah. against Supreme. Yeah, I thought they always had some really great matches. But look at this. So this was King. Well, I shot pretty much. Every show, there is Cronus and Supreme right there with the yeah. beautiful trophy. You know, so Cron Cronus giving it, giving Supreme the rub. Yeah, because yeah, that's that yeah. looks like after the match. I remember Supreme uh, went through the barbed wire that because there was instead of ropes, there was barbed wire, and he just hit that barbed wire, and he was like, "I'm gonna hit it," and I go, "Man, really? Like that just seems weird." And he hit it, and he went through it, and like the barbed wire, just I don't know, it it didn't break, but it unraveled, and he fell right to the floor. And I think that's why his shirt was all cut up like that. That wasn't like ECW's gimmick barbed wire. I think, I, I don't no. know if you get your hands on the, the safer barbed wire, you know, so it was. Well, and we remember, I remember Chris Candido being there and, and, and saying, wow, what is this? This is crazy. And he put his finger on the barbed wire. And me and Messiah were there, and I remember we looked at him and we said, "Yeah, but you're ECW." And he was like, "I don't do that shit." And you know, Candido totally didn't do that shit. Maybe he did a table or two, um, but yeah, he didn't really like. I don't think he got hit in the head with the chairs, like not like the Dudleys totally. And uh, and as we thought about it, we were like, "Yeah, I guess it was just Sabu and Terry Funk were in that was in that barbed wire match in ECW." Are you talking uh, about the one where? Uh... Sabu supposedly tore his uh bicep or what was his bi or tricep, one of them. Yeah, yeah, you know what? I think it was that one. And um that's what we saw, and I guess I interpreted that as that's what ECW was. And no, I remember Chris Candida saying this is crazy, all this glass and and uh but yeah, XPW really really turned it up a notch and took it to the next level. Now you weren't at this thing, but we Rob Black flew me down. Me, Klein Rock, Jimmy Suzuki was there. So Suzuki and I were shooting, but I was like the XPW guy. And that was to set up the match that never happened. You know, Nita, Sabu, yeah. it was going to be, you know, well before Kenny Omega and Moxley brought it to uh, AEW. You guys almost had, I forget, what was the reason? So this was at the hotel, the press conference. And the big I, I, it probably always came down to money. You know, I, I well, at least the Rob Vac, Black version, I remember it. I don't know. I, it's so long ago. I want to say like he like doubled his price or something like that. But they actually ended up doing it was Supreme was in it with uh, with Vic Grimes. And they were at the Pico Rivera Sports Arena and they had an exploding uh, exploding death match. Um, with the with everything like that, that was and yeah, and the ring blew up at the end. I remember that <laughs> the ring blew up at the end.
and it was a big it was a big explosion i'm pretty sure just like with the scaffold and everything like that like i i'm sure those guys set up that pyro thinking that there would be nobody in that ring and there'd be nobody near these pyros and that's what these guys were right by that stuff and i mean but they're badasses vic grimes and, and supreme and um, I mean, I don't think a little, a couple of sparks would have scared them at all. And obviously didn't, but, uh, but yeah, I remember that match. And I remember it being so cold because the whole ring was smoked up and then you had to wait till the, till the, actually the smoke cleared and there was Supreme in the middle, like, you know, doing the X symbol and stuff like that. But yeah, that was great. That was awesome. Jonathan. Well, there's been a lot already in that beginning part there, but I want to bring up two things. First, Dr. Mike brought up about Dark Side of the Ring, talking about XPW and such. And I know you were a part of the episode. What did you think of that? And two, as I mentioned in my part of the introduction, you were training around the same time as your Uncle Supreme in 94 there. So I'm curious to know, what your folks think when you said, oh, I'm going to try this wrestling thing out with Uncle you know what? Like, like I was saying, he whatever he wanted to do, I just wanted to hang out with my uncle. So if he wanted to play basketball in the park, I was there and we would. It just so happens we went to a show. We, we were um, it was um, Sabu versus Al Snow in the main event. And honestly, I had no clue who any of these guys were. Um, and but they but Supreme, my uncle Supreme Lester is his name, uh, Mike. <laughs> Uh, yeah, Lester Perforce. He told me, let, my Uncle Lester said, hey, man, there's this guy we got to see. His, his name is Sabu. And he he does a backflip, right? Because I don't know what a moonsault is at the time. He does a backflip through the table off the top rope. And I go, man, I got to see this. And, and I told, I said, and the guy just lays there and he says, no, man, this is after the match. He goes to the top rope. He puts the table there and he just breaks the table. And I, Oh my God! He would uh, do a backflip off the top rope, and uh, you know, because I didn't know what a moonsault was, so I said, "Wow!" So the guy just—he lays the guy there, and he just backflips on him, and he says, "No, man, he—he he, this is after the match. He brings the table in, he goes to the top rope, and he does this backflip. However many times it takes, he's gonna do the backflip until he breaks that table." And I just thought, "Wow." I got to see this. <laughs> you know what I mean? I said, I got to see this. And then, you know, Road Warrior Hawk was on the card. And so that was great. That was the Dan one way out in Florence. At the, it was like at a house. And then they went out. Then the, wasn't Terry Funk in the main event with Sabu and Al Snow? He, and, You know, they, they, uh, Dan Farron was the was the promoter. Yeah, and, yeah. I was um, there shooting. I think he brought him around a couple of times. But this one, I want to say, was in La Puente at the Boys and Girls Club. Maybe um, what's the one? And, at the, and Terry Funk was there, and wait, I remember when was, Terry. Yeah. When, but when you Terry had Funk's, a card too, where uh, Road Warrior Hawk had that weird Styles clash with Dan Severn, who was just getting trained for pro wrestling. Remember that, that was one? yeah, that was, and then he chased the referee out, and I I remember thinking, man, because I love me, me and my uncle Supreme, we love the Road Warriors. So to see Hawk and, and I was a little blown away to think like, why is wrestling like in, in the boys and girls club? Why is Hawk here? Like, I, I just never understood. Like, I just thought the big arenas, that's what I thought. That's what you see on TV. Um, and, uh, but I was disappointed in that match. I mean, it must've went like five minutes. Then he chases off the ref 
And then here, and then I thought it was a little weird that Hawk wasn't in the main event. You know, that's that's the Road Warrior. So here comes the main event with Al Snow and and Sabu, and I had no clue who these guys were. And Terry Funk comes in at the end. Right, right, and right. He had a cowboy hat, cowboy boots, big big belt buckle, and I thought he was just like a, a ranchero from the neighborhood or something. And I asked my uncle, <laughs> "Who is that?" And he goes, "Oh, that that that's former NWA champ Terry Funk." And I just kind of had this. I don't know who that is, but I said, okay. And I, I mean, that's how much I didn't know anything about wrestling. My uncle was all about the wrestling and we met, um, Rob craze. Um, he, he, uh, wrestled as the neighborhoods out here in Southern California. And, uh, he saw Supreme with tattoos on his heads and he was like, Hey man, do you want to come and train with us? And Supreme was all about it. Like, Oh, hell yeah. And he actually said, but you know, Hey man, can my, can my 14 year old nephew come along? And uh, they were like, yeah, like, I mean, if that's what it's going to take to get you, you know, um, yeah, your, your, your nephew can come along. And so that's when I started really getting into wrestling. Like I, I had no clue about, I mean, I definitely wasn't a smart mark at, at all, but I had like really no, I didn't, like uh, I had no clue who a lot of the wrestlers were, you know, unless I saw them on WWE TV or WF TV, like Shawn Michaels and, and Bret Hart, I had no clue, like wasn't even really familiar with Dusty Rhodes. Um, or even Ric Flair. And so I got, I got smart enough real quick, just kind of getting into it. But my, my passion with professional wrestling came when I started doing it and we kind of broke in and, and Rob Craze showed us like how to bump and how to run the ropes and how to lock up and stuff like that. But he didn't have a school or anything like that. And, you know, just kind of showing us, you know, how to, how, how to do the basics. And um, so we would show up every week at, and pay our five bucks and the guy would just uh, give Rob the, the, uh, the key and we would just walk in and just kind of train ourselves kind of a thing. And, but I fell in love with taking the bumps. I mean, at 14 years old, I don't think who, what, what kid wouldn't. And I always fall, fell in love with actually just getting in the ring and doing it. And um, I stopped wrestling like really, really early because of my wrestling school, but also because not just because of my wrestling school, because my, my like what I need to feed the need for professional wrestling is actually just being in the ring and wrestling. Like I really do. I, I get so, um, I get so nervous when I have to wrestle in front of people, the expectations get so high. Even if I do a great match and the people say it's great, I'm like, damn, that sucked. I don't want to do this. I, I don't know. I get this, uh, anxiety really when I wrestle in front, but if I just wrestle in the ring, that's, I mean, that's been my passion. That's why I haven't really wrestled, um, you know, in front of a crowd for the last 10 years. Cause I get it out of just doing it in the ring. You know, it was like, honestly wrestling in front of the crowd was a cherry on top for everything that I did, you know, as, as I still wrestle these guys and um, wrestle guys like Brody King and Jake Atlas, who was hired at, at NXT, but he was recently fired. Uh, but one of their things was, I have to well, you trained you. Jake Atlas though, because yeah. he was an incredible talent. I would shoot him at PWG shows against uh, jungle boy and and then up at APW, they had a long feud in APW. Yeah. Over they had some the, really yeah. great matches. Oh, awesome. Yeah, and and Jake would be on the top of his game wrestling the top of the top um, um, wrestlers out there, and then he'd be like, "I want to wrestle you," and I'm like, "Man, I haven't, I haven't got." I, it'd be like that old timer thing. I don't do that no more. And he'd be like, "Yeah, but you're my coach. I gotta wrestle you." And I'd be like, "Man, but if we're gonna do this, we're gonna do it my way." Kind of one of those they, they pull me back in kind of a thing. So I've had to do that with Brody um, and Jake Atlas and a few others, just kind of 
just because they want to wrestle their coach. You know, I don't even know if they know any of my history. A lot of them don't. They see me on dark side of the ring and they were like, oh, geez, this guy's actually done some stuff in this business. Um, But yeah, I mean, and then to answer the other question about the dark side of the ring, I was definitely apprehensive about doing it. I didn't. The first thing I told the producer who I was in, Howard was the guy I was in contact with. And I told him, I said, man, you know, that's just been so many years ago and I'm in a different place in my life. And I just don't want the negativity is really what I told him. You know, I just, I just, it's called dark side of the ring. How can it be anything good? And he, he said, man, that's the name It's called dark side of the ring, but really we want to tell stories and we want to tell the success stories of the guys like you and what you guys are doing now. And he kind of sold me on it. So I was, and, and this was during COVID. So, I mean, I had, the school wasn't open. Everything I had was in, was in um, storage. So you, you got nothing to do. Um, and so they're going to pay you to, uh, to talk about XPW. And I said, well, I've said everything that I've going to say. Cause Chris Claus has a podcast, so I said, sure, I'll go down and and talk about it. But yeah, at first I definitely was apprehensive about it. Once I once I watched it, uh, once I watched that Tommy Dreamer one, and then everyone got on Tommy Dreamer about what he said. I, I then I said, oh my gosh, what did I say? Or how can they edit what I said and make me look terrible? And so I I kind of thought, oh geez, what did I get myself into? But as it turns out, I, I thought it was a great piece. You know, I think, you know, my buddy, Billy Messiah, you know, it was really all about him. Um, And I don't know, you know, I don't know if he wanted a lot of that to come out, Um, but he knew what he was getting into when he was doing the interview. So, but I thought they, they, they told a good story. Um, um, I really, really appreciate that they gave uh, Supreme, Supreme his due in there. I mean, cause honestly, I can't think about XPW without Supreme himself. Like he is XPW. Check out uh, these shots. Yeah. I mean, look at his face. He would just get, I remember he'd wrestle, he'd wrestle Sabu and Sabu would be like too much color, man, too much color. And Supreme, like Supreme loved, like he used to just love the crimson mask and he used to love the dusty roads masses. And, and, um, but did he used to get the magazines and stuff? Like, when did, oh, yeah. when did he start? When did he start? His his story is he was in high school and there was this kid named Casey Boyer, and this kid was uh, and I know Casey now. Like Casey was the one that helped us break into meet 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 the guy that taught us how to wrestle. Um, and uh, Casey was reading this wrestling magazine and Supreme or Lester being Lester, like he was just Supreme in high school with his hair, you know, really. And he actually just said, he just grabbed that magazine and said, oh man, you like wrestling? And just started looking at it. And, you know, Casey's like, kind of like, you know, he's, 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 he's very uh, introvert, you know? And uh, he's got Supreme just there sitting there or Lester just to, hey man, you like wrestling? Let me see that magazine and just takes it from him. And he's kind of like, oh yeah, sure, man. Don't kick my ass. You can read that magazine. And they became really good friends. Um, and then, so Casey was just really into it. And he would, uh, he would actually, um, he would uh, become friends with some of the wrestlers and then kind of introduce uh, Supreme. And that's what, that's how we knew about this show with uh, Sabu and Al Snow at it uh, going was because of Casey. So we actually went with him. I think he actually bought the tickets and we paid him when we got there. And, and then I would have let you in free. You uh, you'll have to go through (laughs) my photos of the crowd shots there because you might, I might've very well captured you. Supreme had hair. 
I want to oh, see. Well, he had hair. his hair cut like uh, Big Van Vader. And he had, really? uh, yeah, one slit here and one slit here. Yeah, he loved Vader um, and the Road Warriors. And uh, Is he but, on your shirt there? What's your shirt? Oh, yeah. This is the tribute shirt that uh, Crimson Crown made, Sage Sin Supreme. Uh. Um, you know, so she made this shirt. Um, and I love this shirt. It's one of my favorite uh, ones, I think. Is there a spot that people can get that? Um, you know what? It wasn't a, a limited edition, but I think you would check out <laughs> crimsoncrown.com um to check it out to see if uh those shirts because they still they definitely still have some um i remember getting some at the uh the memorial show that we had for him or that they had for him they did a great they did a great uh, job uh yeah. for supreme and just uh but yeah just so unfortunate i think he would have loved he would have loved to do that dark side of the ring and you know and it was like it's like a weird thing about like right, one of my best friends in wrestling, and I can count him on one hand, is 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 Billy Messiah, and you know after you know this whole thing with Rob Black, right? You know it, it's not proven that Rob Black had it done, get his thumb cut off, but you know oh, that was the he, word, you know what I mean? That was the word, and but he never and Billy Messiah never ever, and we even had a conversation at that time about him like. So what do you want me to do is what actually what I asked him, like, I'll leave, you know, and, and, and guys like us, you know, it's a different time now. It was like, man, you, you get an opportunity to kind of hang on to it. And Billy Messiah was always so gracious about saying, no, man, no, this is your opportunity. You know, I did what I did and this, this is what I have to deal with. Um, but I think Supreme would have loved the dark side of the ring. And I think definitely Supreme probably would have, would, would have, would have done the XPW rebirth, to be honest. You know, I, I couldn't say to be certain, but I kind of feel it in my heart that he would, um, me on the other hand, I'm just, I'm just done with wrestling. I want to produce wrestling. I want to produce wrestlers. I want to, you know, make, make a show that's kind of like, uh, not kind of like XPW, but I want to build something. And I just, it's hard to do that these days with the students because you want them to get out there and you want them to wrestle at many different great bigger shows than than your little wrestling school show. But it's always something special about like what we did in XPW was me and Supreme and a lot of the it's homeless Jimmy and Messiah like we 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 built it. You know, it wasn't just Rob Black or it wasn't just Kevin Kleinrock. It took a lot of guys to to really believe in the brand and believe in what we were doing. You know, as wild and crazy as it was and that dark side of the ring, man, it made it look like that shit was crazy. And I guess at the time it was none of those stories. I mean, all the stories are true, but it didn't seem there was as a lot, crazy there was as not it was. That, it wasn't all, <laughs> you know, uh, whatever you want to call it, Memphis, Onita, brawling stuff. Just like ECW, you would have, I mean, I shot, man, I shot Chris Benoit's debut. It was against Taz and they had like a balls out great you know, what we used to call in the 60s a scientific match, but it was babyface and hold Madden chain and all of that stuff, nothing outside the ring. And there were, you know, remember when I was emailing you, Mike, Ma we were talking last night, Mike Modest came down and, and there were guys that weren't doing uh, the violent stuff. So there were other elements. It was a hybrid. Uh, but I'm going to let me throw back to Jonathan. I just was going to ask you at, at some point, spit out who has come through your school because it's like a who's who of uh, we, trainers, even. Yeah, I mean, we've had, I mean, our uh, Jake Atlas and Brody King are, are definitely our top runners. Uh, Tyler Bateman, 
Uh, mm-hmm. He was he was just under contract. It, it's a different world right now. He was just under contract with Ring of Honor, and they just let everybody go. So we'll see how they they're probably going to keep operating, kind of like PWG, I guess, probably just on a per show basis. Um, but uh, but yeah, uh, I, I've got a lot of one like Heather Monroe, Alyssa Marino. She she was uh, able to get a job with WWE as a uh, backstage interviewer, and then the whole pandemic happened. She had moved out to to Florida. And then they they released her like right away, and so she's still in Florida. She kind of moved her whole her whole life over there. Um, I mean, I don't know. It's just a it's just a corporate thing, you know. They don't kind of care about what these you guys. Got every are quarter doing. at the end of every quarter. That was yeah. the weird thing last week, as Jonathan knows. The CFO has to say, "Oh, we did over two hundred and forty or two hundred sixty million. It, it was defied all expectations. One of our most profitable third quarters ever. The next day, she quits because she knew what was coming, and it was the layoff of eighteen, nineteen talent, which was happening every quarter. And those names surprised me. It's the first time they let go two husband and wife. You know, Scarlett, Harry, yeah. and Cross, Killer Cross, Keith Lee, and Mia Yim. Yeah, great, great people, great friends. It's- but Heather Monroe, what a star! You know, because I've been watching her. I watch. Not one of my favorite programs because Dave Marquez owes me a lot of money, but I watch championship wrestling from Hollywood. I've seen, you know, Heather grow. She's got that guy doing the gay character manager. And then uh, he shifted it to center stage in Atlanta. And Heather was one of the few people to go there. And she's been yeah. on those shows if you've watched them. So very impressed. She's very sweet. She came up to APW a couple of times, worked as like a nervous baby face against Ruby Riot, is it? The, the one from L.A., the Hispanic girl. Okay, Ruby Rays. Yeah, Ruby Rays. Who's, did she come through your school or anything? Yeah, yeah. She's wow. she's she's come through our school. Like this. Uh, Badass. Slice Boogie is another one. He's with MLW and NWA. Um, I have another guy who's a wrestler, and they told uh, WWE wants to hire him as a referee. Um, so it's kind of like a kiss and a slap at the same time. Um, but you know, you got to gain the experience, you know, even though if they tell you, Hey, you'll never be a wrestler. There's always nevers in wrestling that always the breakthrough. You know what I mean? You're never going to get hired at after 30 years old. You know, yeah, it's, I don't it's, think they let go of the refs. The, the refs kind of, yeah. on. You, you, you know, the, uh, the Asian American ref, he broke in first at APW and then Modest and Donovan Morgan, and they took everybody away, formed Iron in association with Misawa's Noah. And uh, Bonsai Bruce Bukaki, who did a Bukaki gimmick, you know, because he heard it mentioned a lot on Howard Stern, but he's now, he's been there, I think at least 10 years as a Vince ref for both Raw and SmackDown as the Asian American ref. Yeah. And we all laugh. And when I see him, I go, Bonsai Bukaki. (laughs) That's a, that's a total... (laughs) Jonathan, let me throw up, throw over to you. Well, since you mentioned him. Hey now, Baba Bowie. You know, because I am a Stern fan, obviously. And when I said, come on, earlier as Joey was telling his story, he beat me to the punch because the heel in me wanted to say, you know, as far as Stark side of the ring, I'd give it two thumbs up, but that's a whole nother, you know. Shame. Shame. Uh, no, no, no. <laughs> that, that, that's the heel in me. But you know what's funny? I want to go. You know to, that that uh, man, I gotta be honest with you. A lot of people make that joke. Mm. And I mentally put them on my shit list when they do. 
I really do. But Sire was so over. Yeah. He was the undertaker of XPW. He, it was amazing how locally, local guys that I'd not heard of before, I was so blown away with how talented you were, your Uncle Supreme, obviously, just the nicest guy on the planet. He's so nice, it's nice, even more nice than he was talented, but Messiah so over. You, you know what, what we were missing? We had no direction. Like, I just feel like I even asked my students, like, how do you, like, you guys are so successful. Like, how do you get so successful? Like, th in, within three years, they're signed to WWE or whatever the case, or getting flown out. And, like, just m multiple students, among multiple students getting flown out within their first year of wrestling. And I just go, you guys are so successful. And I want, I asked them, like, what do you guys do different? Like, yeah, of course, they learn how to wrestle. I'm teaching them from the ground up and teaching them everything about that. But I think... Really, it's a lot of the – and here's the thing. Like, I don't try to help the students get booked. Um, I know that sounds terrible. It sounds awful. But well, that's their job. You can't – Yes, talk. that's what I feel. It feels it's their job. And if I do it for them, and when I'm gone and I'm not there taking care of them, they're going to be sitting there holding the bag like, how do I do this? And that's how me and Supreme and even Messiah, like we were like, how do we do this? We don't know how to do this. And so I give them the tips and tell them what they have to do. But really, there is no secret to the sauce. It's just it's just uh, applying yourself, reaching out. Don't not. But be, you know, not when they say they where they graduate from when they say Santino Brothers, yeah. that carries an air of prestige. And that's kind of an in because, you know, you're going to get a quality uh, student that's well versed in all aspects of, of Progress. Yeah, they become they we've been we've been uh, called a, a cult, uh, <laughs> um, but I, I don't know. Like a lot of these guys, they they bleed the dream. Like like Brody King, I hit him up and I said, "Hey, we're doing some shows next year. Hey, you wanna would you would you wanna do a show for us?" And he's like, "Yes, of course." And I said, oh, "I didn't know if I really wanted to ask you because I think in my heart, like you should probably be just doing bigger shows. You know, not not the little school show." And he's like, "No, come on, man." And and uh, I go, "All right." Man, what's your rate? And he goes, dude, like, <laughs> he's like, shut the fuck up. Like, you know what I mean? So, um, but I try to, like, honestly, I just give these guys the respect that they deserve, you know? And it's just what a talent he is. So, the yeah. matches I shot of him teaming and uh, opposing Jeff Cobb at PWG, and I forget who they work with, Jonathan Gresham. And man, oh, yeah. the Kings of Ring of Honor, New Japan. Jonathan Gresham didn't have to come from your school, but some of these guys out there today just blow me away with just how well-versed and so talented Brody being able to do Lucha, a guy that huge doing like junior heavyweight, amazing shit. And to that, that's credit to uh, Los Luchas and, and Zocre, Zocre and Phoenix star. Oh my gosh. Those guys really took Brody and they tell him, Hey, you're a big man, but you can still do it, you know? And then he gets to the point of he, he could do a, springboard back bump onto the rope like like ray phoenix and then back to his feet and it's just like this guy's like six five 275 pounds um but yeah he is he is just a a a wonderful a wonderful human being when we were when we were out on the pandemic and we had everything in storage um he took it upon himself to get a fun together with all the students and trying to keep uh, Santino brothers alive. And, wow. and I think he, he, uh, they, uh, they, they raised about $8,000 
throughout the year. We were out for about, I don't know, maybe nine months or so. But yeah, they raised about $8,000 just on the students and just every not knowing if, hey, if this thing would, would, would come back. You know what I mean? Um, but yeah, he, he's just a genuine person and, and I, lo I love Brody to death. I love, I love all my students. I love Jake Atlas to death. When I see these guys, Mike and Jonathan, when I see these guys in the ring and they want to do this crazy shit and I'm a guy who comes from XVW with all the blood and I just say, man, I cringe and I just tell them, please don't get hurt when they want to bleed. And I say, why do you want to bleed? We did that. I did that because I didn't know any better and I wasn't half as talented as you are. You know what I mean? Um, but they see it. They see Dusty Rose and they see Ric Flair and they see all these guys bleed. They see now the John Moxley bleeding on TV and they're like, I want to bleed. And they and there's nothing I'm going to say. That's going to, that's going to smarten them up to not want to do it. They're just going to have to live through it. Like I've, I, I didn't even want to be part of like the deathmatch stuff. Rob Black was like, you're not on the show. And I was like, why? Let's show some pictures of you before I throw back to Jonathan. And while I'm showing these pictures. Oh, jeez. So yeah, Steve Rosano in the I Quit match. With the chain there. And, and that's Rosano credits XPW with him ending up in a wheelchair. He's out of it. He's oh, much better. He got clean. Yes. He got clean I saw him um, probably at the 2019 Cauliflower Alley, and he, I did not recognize him, and he looked great. And I gave him the biggest hug that I've ever given anybody. And I just was just so happy to see him just looking so much better because the last time I had seen him, yeah, he was, it was looking bad. You know? Look at this. And a shot of you with Tracy Smothers. Oh, yeah, with Pee Wee the ref. Yeah, Pee Wee, oh, that was Sabu's guy. Whatever happened to Pee Wee? Like I Sabu was thinking of pre-rec. You had to use him. He wanted his guy flown out, hired as his ref for all his matches back in the 90s. And how it was, yeah. Pee Wee from uh, Detroit. Is that, before I throw to Jonathan, is that the wrestling cat? What's the cat's name that keeps going by and wants attention? Once, oh, that's he's Mona. Chasing <laughs> he's chasing up. What's his name? That's Mona. Mona. Yeah, oh, that's cool. my that's my baby girl right there. Yeah. <laughs> Jonathan. Well, we've been hitting at it and talking about his students like Atlas and Brody and all, but I do want to give a, a good plug for Santino Brothers Wrestling Academy because I was watching earlier in prepping for this your YouTube channel, but I will put contact information for the school and stuff in all the outlets for this. Because it's a good thing you're doing. And I appreciated some of the videos. Like uh, the one I was watching was talking about drop kicks. You were explaining. But the one I really got a kick out of. And it seems like it's a lost art. And I think Dr. Mike would agree with me. And I think you would too, Joey. Being hands on like you are. But the one video that really stood out for me was talking about working on the fly and calling it in the ring where certain companies, I won't say WWE, but it's everything from A to Z seems to be scripted out. And you hear that where I you appreciate it. You can feel it. Yeah. You know, it's not uh, organic the way Joey properly trains. Uh, yeah. But I appreciate that video where you're talking about teaching your students to be able to work on a fly and whatnot. So can you, uh, Talk about your philosophy on how you train the students from A to Z. Well, I on like everything that I the, all the um, 
all the tips and tricks that I give to my students are really like a lot of the mistakes that I made in wrestling. Um, Funny you say that. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, I I had a lot of success in wrestling and I was, uh, I was doing XPW and at that time, like I wouldn't be able to like in all those matches in XPW, like I wasn't able to apply a figure four leg lock, a sharpshooter. I wouldn't, I probably couldn't have done a headlock takeover. Maybe I have, or, but the idea was that I didn't really know how to wrestle. Like I knew how to do spots, you know, I knew how to do spots, lock up and do stuff like that, but I didn't know how to wrestle. And I got in with my buddy who's the second Santino brother was Mongo. And he would eat my lunch day in, day out. And I would always go for the ropes because I didn't have an exit. And he, and then one day he was like, you can't go to the ropes. You got to wrestle your way out. And I, had no way to do it. Um, and so I felt very like, like, I, I don't know. I felt like shit and I didn't, I didn't want to have that feeling again. So I made sure to teach myself how to wrestle. And then there was another time, even before, even during that same time when Mongo ate my lunch, that kid cash in Nashville, we were at a training session and he just ate my lunch for like 20 minutes and I couldn't do anything. And I wanted to get out of the ring and he wouldn't let me get out of the ring. And if I wanted to get out, I had to wrestle my way out and I couldn't do it. And that was a terrible feeling, you know, and I was already wrestling on this on, on the scene for like seven years. And so I made it a point to really kind of teach myself how to do all, all, all the, all the stuff. And there wasn't no, wasn't any how-to videos. So I would just watch the videos, whether it be like, I, I don't know, Monday Night Raw or, or something like that and seeing how they did some of these moves and just try to break it down and figure it out. Um, so that was the one thing that I made sure to was just teach them actually how to, to wrestle, um, not just how to do the moves, but how to wrestle and how to apply them. Um, and then really teach them a lot of different moves. Like um, the only thing I can compare our school to would be like slammers because I talked to Mongo or even I was mentored by Dynamite D and, and they would have a curriculum. And Mongo always said like, ah, oh, we were taught 150 moves. And uh, oh yeah, geez. That's, uh, that's uh, Dynamite D doing his JYD. Doing the JYD. Can you tell people the significance why he's, and we lost him, but why Dynamite D was such a beloved uh, god in Southern California and part of XPW behind the scenes and in the room. Well, he was a trainer at uh, at um, at Slammers, and uh, he was training a lot of the guys at Slammers, um, and uh, so he became like the mentor figure. And re- really, me coming into XPW, me and me and Dynamite D really didn't see eye to eye at first. Um, because he was like, Hey, we need help with this ring. And, and I remember like kind of ignoring him and, and then he would say it louder. We need help with this ring. And there was a couple of guys there helping. So I figured he was talking to them and then he said it louder. And I was like, Hey, like what, like you talking to us? And he was like, yeah, man. We're like, well, we don't know how to put a ring. This is me and Supreme. Well, we don't know how to put a ring together. So we didn't know you were talking to us. And uh, he was kind of, he was, and then we didn't help him. We did, we didn't help him. And um, that was like my first like kind of encounter with Dynamite D really button heads. Um, and instead of him getting pissed, obviously he was pissed, but instead of him getting hot and trying to hold heat on, on me, um, he smartened me up, you know, and he kind of really took me under his wing and taught me a lot of the ins and outs of wrestling, right? Like, so I knew how to wrestle, run the ropes and bump and do a lot of moves and stuff like that. 
Um, but he really taught me the hows and why you would do things and where you would do things. And, and then, and then even, even beyond that, like even in ring, like timing, pacing and footwork and how much that mattered in the ring. And I just didn't know if to me, I was like a video game. I'd go out there and wrestle, do a couple of moves. You do a couple of moves on me and we go out there and do it. And going back to trying to capture that magic. And, you know, I tell the guys like, Hey, you can, it's, it's really good to go over your match in the back and, 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 you know, go ahead and do it in, 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 you know, into the crowd, but you also need to have the ability to just right now, right now, chaos and Mike, Dr. Mike are going to go out there and you're going to have a 10 minute match and go. And Dr. Mike's the face and chaos is the heel and go. And we'll tell you who the finish is in the ring. And I just tell the students and we test them on stuff like that and just have them go into the ring and really try to produce. And, you know, I'd love to tell you that all of it is great, but no, a lot of it is terrible. A lot of it is, but that's that, you know, failing is the learning path to success, you know? And so I tell these guys that you have to fail. The only way that I can try to get anything right in wrestling is that I fail at it and just try to make it better. And so it looks terrible at first, but then they start. And then one point or another it clicks into their head all the teachings that they've been learning the timing the pacing um, the emotion the facial expressions actually feeling what you're doing and not just doing it because we said to do it in a spot um, and so all those little things we really try to drive home and I'd love to say it's easy and it's not you know and really try to drive it home and I'll constantly tell them I am teaching you a tried and true way of to 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 wrestle and how to and how to develop a match but just understand that there are many different ways to develop a match there's no right or wrong in professional wrestling and that's how we can evolve and so I tell them that and I say without within reason you know obviously if you're dropping me on my head that's wrong (laughs) you know um but I think I then started learning about the school, it's not even about wrestling. It's not even about um, teaching them the moves. Really what it comes down to is coaching the man and coaching the woman and coaching them in life and, and kind of becoming their life coach. And cause I get these kids and they're 20 years old and I know exactly what they're going through. I know how they feel. Like, unless you've been a pro wrestler at 13 years old, I don't know what you feel like, but if it's 14, 15, 16, 17, like I kind of understand it. And so I've learned that it's really coaching these guys. And when I've had like parents come up to me and give me the biggest hugs and cry and tears would come down their face and I would have no clue what's going on. And they would just say, you have changed my son. And now he has direction in life. He never would listen and he never would do anything. And ever since he went to your school and went through your program, he's just like, he's, he, he, he has respect and he earns respect. And that's what we teach. That's what we teach these guys about like, Hey, a lot of people don't want to shake hands in wrestling, you know, and I get the COVID thing. You still have to acknowledge people, you know? Um, But you shake a person's hand, not for clout. You shake a person's hand, not because you have to in professional racing and wrestling. You do it because you're, you're a decent human being that is going to earn respect and give respect out, you know? And that's what I just really teach these guys. And I think that's what really clicks with these guys, these life tips that I try to give them and teach them. A lot of the stuff that I said, man, I wish that someone had steered me in the right direction um, at the time. And I think that's what, is, is a lot of the credit in, in these guys becoming and, and girls becoming, you know, 
very successful. Like just really shooting for that moon. We're shooting for that moon. And even if we miss, I tell these guys, even if we miss, we, we're still among the stars, you know, and I try to become the, I, I actively try to become a better coach every single day, every single year that that passes by. And just, you know, if I, if you ask me about the first years of my coaching, like, oh my gosh, I'd cringe. The same thing when you wrestle, right? You thought it was great. And now you're 10 years later and you're like, wow, I understand a lot, little bit more how to coach people. And um, that's really what it comes down to it here at Santino Brothers um, with coaching the guys. And it's it's just really coaching the person, you know? Well, I was going to say, definitely, again, going to share the links for Santino Brothers Restaurant Academy. Uh, if you guys want to check out the school, contact them, all that fun stuff. If you happen to be in the West Coast there. But I wanted to ask, because I know you said you've put wrestling behind you sense but you get your feelings for it, the positive feelings for it by teaching but i'm curious to know how are you feeling overall now with some of the style you wrestled for years and years oh i mean i definitely i mean i i, I always felt if i can't deliver the way it needs to be delivered um then i shouldn't do it and also, I felt that in order to become an, a great coach, that you would have to put your wrestling career behind you. And I, there are, you know, I, I don't know if I probably may have still some regrets, but I feel like we've built something incredibly special with, with Santino Brothers. And I feel that's another, you know, uh, uh, a secret to the sauce is that, I don't compete with my students. I'm trying to get give them the all. Um, and I constantly will tell them, and it's the truth, that they are 20 times better than I ever was. Um, but you can't tell them that. They definitely want to get in there with the coach. And um, But I think in order for me to be able to keep up with all these youngsters, like it, 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 keeps, me, it keeps me on my toes and it keeps me fresh. You know, maybe I'm the next coming of Dennis Stamp, but I totally am ready uh, for the next match. Uh, do I want the next match? I mean, uh, like full disclosure, like Rob Black contacted me and said, do you want to be part of XPW? And I would, I, I don't wrestle anymore. I'll wrestle, I'll wrestle for my wrestling show for my students to help them out. Um, but I don't know. I'm just in a, I'm in a different place right now where I don't feel the need to have to wrestle um for anybody i mean i've i've turned down a lot of a lot of gcw um was interested at one point wow. um and i just i don't know i it's that's not where i get that's not where i get my fix uh, like i was fix just wrestling in the ring you know yeah but i was going at how do you feel physically overall oh i mean i feel great i definitely <laughs> i definitely do that's why i do have reservations of saying well maybe i should give it one more run and I just think like, oh my gosh, I, I hate showing up to the, uh, to the show early. I hate trap. I really hate traveling. I really do. I got, I got a lot of my fix out of me. I got to do this, this mask that you see behind me is this guy named Mano Roja. And I created this character um, and this band named Pucifer um, uh, mm -hmm. wanted to have an opening act, not necessarily an opening band. They wanted an opening act. Um, and so they wanted Lucha Libre and they contacted us and, and I didn't even want to do it. I was trying to 
feed it to my students. But for one reason or another, my students didn't show up to the tryout. And so my wife was running the tryout and she says, hey, can you show up to the tryout? Because I got like one guy there and I just need another person. So I tried out and they picked me. Um, and I got to go um, through all the major cities throughout the United States um, and then all the B cities throughout the United States. And then the tour kept going and it ended up going to um, all uh, throughout Europe, uh, probably about 14 countries through Europe. Um, and then the tour kept going and we went to um, all the way through Australia. Um, so I did that and I did that in the span of probably about a year and a half. And it was a class everybody like there was probably five people in our troop and our Lucha Libre troop. And I thought they were going to put five people to a room. No, man, they had, they had us, each of us had our own room. And when it was eight, when they were mm -hmm. able to, we had our corner room, um, whether it be the four seasons um, and they were high end hotels that they were oh. putting us into. Yeah. They would, oh. then they would pay us per week and then also give us a per diem. And I remember one of my guys was like, Hey, so what is this our pay? And I said, no, this is your per diem. Like just to live during, during the week. Um, but we would just save our money because they would feed us. They would feed us on the bus. We would be on this tour bus, this badass tour bus. And then we would just, uh, tell them, Hey, we want some peanut butter or we want, we want M&Ms on the rider or whatever it was. I mean, it was a class. The, the guy is named Maynard James Keenan. So he's a, he's from a, a, a popular band called tool. And so yeah, everything, yeah. yeah, everything we went through was a class. And I got like a lot of my traveling like out of me because they took us everywhere. And I thought like, wow, if you go to the Indies, you know what it is. It sucks. <laughs> I wanted to say this about your school. I want to throw up because you were talking about the handshaking. I've seen that in locker rooms since the 60s. When you enter the locker room, you go and, and show your respect, throw out your hand to each person in yeah. that locker room. That yeah. has always been a truism I've seen anywhere and everywhere. I hope at your great school you will teach these guys Carney because I lament to everybody. When I went out and visited Terry Funk a while ago, you know, and then at the... Uh, uh, not the convalescent, but you know, when his daughter that lives nearest to him moved him into the assisted living place, which was horrible. But any guy, any of the old timers, Jake, Rick Martell, Brett, whoever I'm talking to, I go, Carney is a lost art. I don't hear it spoken. You know, when I say it, people like a glazed eye. And so thank God guys like Chris Daniels kind of spread it and Tony and uh, Frankie Kazarian and stuff, but I hope you'll teach that at your school. We need to get you back because I want to hear, we haven't even talked about Wrestling Society X, how you met one of the great love stories, your wife through XPW, and then what her role is and maybe tell us about her. Let me ask you though, as we close out, if you can identify during Dark Side, the producer that I worked with and the photo editor, she was asking me for photos of your wife, photos of your wife. I didn't have any of her at the merch table at XPW, but I thought, oh, with uh, Lizzie Borden, was this not your wife? And, and it turned out it wasn't, but I thought, because I was trying to recall what your wife looked like. And then I met her at Cauliflower Alley or re-met her after decades. That's yeah. not her. Who is No, them? no, she was yeah. actually, so she worked in the XPW office as the receptionist. And then, so it was like a whole team thing. So when then, when it was the wrestling show, or, or she worked at the extreme office, the porno office as a receptionist. But then, so when it was the wrestling show, the receptionist was the merch girl. And so she was the merch girl at XPW. And I wish, 
I wish, Dr. Mike, that she would have told me how much merch that I sold and me and Supreme had sold every show. Like, we didn't think anything of it. We didn't think, I don't know. I, I don't know. I mean, we saw people wearing our shirts, but we didn't think anything of it about, like, trying to capture on, like, uh, like um, how Chris Hero would just start marketing everything. And I think Cole Cabana would just start marketing everything and try to sell stuff. Like I remember talking to Rocky Romero and, and this, this is probably five years ago. And I remember talking to Rocky Romero and saying like, yeah, he was telling me like, yeah, I just never got onto this, this whole t-shirt thing. And I said, yeah, me neither. I don't know. I guess it just passed us by, but I mean, the young bucks are proof, man. They've like, bought their houses off their t-shirt sales, you know, and, and, and started a company, you know, off the momentum off the t-shirt sales. Um, but yeah, I wish I would have known the, the incredible power of the merchandise and professional wrestling. I had no clue. I was just geeked out to be on the show and, and, and the way I broke in, uh, you know, I, a lot of people would always say, who, who trained you? And so it would always kind of give me the cold shoulder. Like, who are you? And kind of kayfabe this whole thing. And, hmm. and so I, it was like, uh, it, it was like a thing of like, just not, never feeling part of the wrestling business. Um, but so yeah. You so. were, let me start with some other <laughs> Do you know who this, I'm trying to figure out who this worker, who I think did security too, with Jasmine St. Clair from XPW. Jonathan should look at this because I haven't shown him my Jasmine shots. Oh. Man, you know he does look so familiar. Not related to, uh, oh Jesus, the guy that was teaming with uh, Bobby. It's not Bobby Bradley Senior's one of his sons. It's not Bobby Bradley Junior, obviously, because he was way skinny. But isn't he a cousin or nephew? I'm trying to figure out who this guy Maybe, is. Yeah. Maybe I'll ask Kevin Kleinrock. Look at this one. Now Jonathan's got to look at this because this I sent. This is Tammy Sitch when she and Chris came in with Rob Black in the center, Kevin Kleinrock on the far right yeah and <laughs> and let's see there is lizzie with cronus lizzie borden i forget what her real what was oh, her real man name? Really i, I love i love cronus so much man like so but many guys is, I, passed I don't, too soon. we're closing out cronus was supreme another yeah cronus, cronus was a great guy like I, after doing the dark side like i felt like wow i really should have talked about Crone. There's so many guys I should have talked about. And it just happened so fast. It was like three hours, but we didn't even talk oh, yeah. about it, like all of the multitude. So we have uh, Rob, Lizzie, and I don't know who the uh, security mobster, if he was a trainee, I'm sure he was a trainee. We might have Maybe, had yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Those are some Other good ones from the past. Well, have we shown the, so I want to throw this in there. This is, uh, Axel. Axel and, and Supreme, of course. Yeah. Cool ass match. And then you guys at the very famous and Supreme Christie, Damien Steele, yourself, I know. Messiah. And is that uh, that's uh, Homeless Jimmy? Yeah. Uh, Billy, Messiah, myself, uh, Chris Claus. We like a family. Each time I'd come down, I was flown down from Northern California because I lived up there for 40 years, just moved back before COVID to Los Angeles. But these guys would hug me. Webb, Homeless Jimmy, everybody. It felt like a family, and I wasn't even living there. I wasn't part of your media oh, family, but I sure felt. What, hey, what were time. we thinking, Dr. Mike? <laughs> Look at this, and this is them too. Were these guys, did Supreme get to actually date, or was that just TV? 
Um, you know, I I, I think they did. I don't know. I thought they did, but they were portraying a couple on on the TV. That's how it was back in the day, right? You had to make people believe. You had to make people believe. Oh man, those are are great pictures. Yeah. And maybe have your wife there too, because she can tell us what what you do for real. So is she fully involved with Santino Brothers or does she? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And then she runs her her Lucha Girls Wrestling, which is, which is, yeah, which is like uh, the apartment wrestling from, from, from the magazines with the blue mats. I yeah. was there and I had to set up lights and slave units. I didn't take pictures for Theo Eric when he shot apartment house wrestling. In yeah. the for, it was Stanley Weston who dug all that stuff. So if yeah. you've seen Theo Eric's book, uh, we, we'll have to talk about that. My LA. Yeah. That's a whole thing. And I, I've always like, that would be great. Cause I always told her to like, you should get into the history of, 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 of the customs wrestling. You know, it's, it's great. You know, that's always been like a dark secret kind of a thing. I don't know. I just, she just. All those glow just, women do that stuff where yeah. they get paid. If you're talking, we're talking about the same thing. And they've even had some conventions that I had to go to in San Diego where like Hollywood and Cheryl Rusa, who was also in the, she was uh, lightning in the glow, the original ladies glow, but then in the LP W whatever it was, the Torberg syndicated uh, early nineties show. That had everybody. Medusa, Mimi Lesios was part of it. Candy Divine. They had all of that. But um, and uh, well, anyway, so a lot of those women were doing this thing where they would just get paid to wrestle guys in their hotel room. And I'm going, oh, Jesus, you better have like a not a pimp, but like a security guard by the door. So none of you guys get hurt. I was constantly worried about these. You know, they're my friends. I dragged yeah. the, the glow ladies, about four of them, to their first cauliflower alley in 92. We were in L.A. from the 60s until 2000 when we moved it to Vegas. And, and, you know, that's when I saw you at your first one. I think it was your first one in 2019 with your wife. Oh, yeah. Well, I, I was actually there when Stu Hart was there. I think that might have been my was first one. Early. Okay. They honored Stu Hart. Yeah. I didn't, I was like one of like the other, I didn't go to the dinner or the banquet or anything, but I hung out there all weekend. I would have dragged you into the dinner Uh, (laughs) and all the rest of that stuff. But Jonathan, do you have, let me let you close up the show since we've been gabbing. Well, I think the best way in part of that conversation, you were joking about uh, the family per se, as far as XPW and some of the pictures and stuff. I know I was kidding. I was ribbing Dr. Mike when I called him to make sure everything was good because chaos had come on before as I'm trying to eat dinner and such, which is all good. Full disclosure with the show. You're three hours ahead. You're in the Philly Jersey area. Yes, correct. So me and Joey are kidding around. I said, let me call Mike to make sure everything's cool on his end and stuff right before we're getting started. And I was ribbing Mike saying, Man, Joey's talking all kinds of shit on you, yada yada yada. Yeah, which you remember course, I, when I emailed you to, to so you would have his email. I said my brother Joey because he feels like a brother. All of those people felt like family. Yeah, and no right. matter what you want to say about XPW, it was a effing blast. It was fun. All those people were wonderful. I loved all of them. The porn element, the extreme thing was <laughs> out of my league in a, a little bit. And it would be funny to go to the office and then be loaded up 
you know, you, you'd never leave there empty-handed without a ton of uh, VHS for DVDs. But, but. Uh, even Rob, I love those people. I love Rob and Lizzie. They were, yeah. all, everybody was nice. And we had such a fun time driving up uh, again with Ron Jeremy and Jasmine, who was the world's worst driver. She was insane. <laughs> you, you let her behind a wheel. Well, no, it was her car. She was transiting us up there. But And then I think Chaos would know this. We go up to Ventura for those shows up there. And Ron Jeremy would, like, come up to us. And sometimes he wouldn't even ask if we were done with the meal. You know, we'd be at a Denny's, some shit place at 2 in the morning. And he would eat right off our plate. Joey, do you remember that stuff with the... Yes. Yeah, yeah, I remember food? Sabu. I remember Sabu would, would, uh, <laughs> would be, like, passed out in his food sometimes. <laughs> Yeah, oh, I, well. I saw him. I won't say which pay-per-view it was. It wasn't the first one that Heyman did. I was at a, many of them shooting. But after one of the pay-per-views, I think it was the Jersey one where it was uh, Taz, was it Taz and Bigelow, where they were the first to go through the ring. Uh, oh, yeah. And that was way before uh, Brock and Big Show, Paul White, did it. And that was the first time I'd ever seen anything like that. But... Uh, after that paper, he was over in Jersey. We all had a fun time there. Sabu running around naked. The only thing he had on backstage was his cowboy boots. And he's just <laughs> running around naked. But, naked. Yeah. but with what I was getting at, though, all the jokes aside that, and I hope I'm not putting chaos on the spot here, but, you know, he did have so much love and respect for you, Mike. And everybody I talked to that knows you, truly has that love and respect for you, which is awesome to hear. But since you're telling Sabu stories, I kind of got one. It's not the most interesting story. And I'll leave the other parties out. But he was working in Indy in the Philadelphia area. I'm in my late teens, early 20s, just kind of get my feet wet around, you know, knowing people and such. And they say... Hey, do you mind? The promoter says, Hey, do you mind taking Sabu back to the hotel? Him and his wife. I don't know if he's, he's obviously still not with this lady. No, Mibu, they got a divorce. The girl from Japan. Yes. So he says, Hey, do you mind taking them back to the hotel and stuff? I said, Where are they at? Yada, yada. No problem. And I, I knew, obviously, I understand the business to an extent, but it was like, there was still that aura about Sabu, obviously. I was like, never really talked to him. It was like, hey, how you doing with the respect thing backstage? You know, shook his hand and all. So it's like, yeah. Went over to him, said, hey, I'm going to take you back to the hotel the whole bit. He goes, hey, just a quick question before we go. I said, what's that? Thinking he's going to ask something completely asinine. He goes, I really need it. I want to introduce the missus here to a cheesesteak. Can we stop and get one? (laughs) Okay, and I'm like, yeah, you know, but so we go and get dinner before we go back to the hotel and stuff. And I hope I'm not completely throwing caution at a wind here, but sitting there eating dinner and talking to Sabu was like, there's something about that guy that's very interesting and would love to sit and pick his brain more. That's for sure. I have photos of him, Judge Dredd. And Van Dam being trained by the Sheik, who basically speaking of training centers, we were talking Santino Brothers, world's greatest school. But Sheik would bark orders at him. He was one of those legends. I ran his fan club. Joey doesn't even know this in the 60s. 
starting in 65, the Sheik International Fan Club. We're talking Eddie Farhat, the real fireball throwing yeah. Sheik, not Iron Sheik or anybody else, the Sheik that runs those shows in Torrance. Uh, I forget what his name is, but, and Sabu finally made peace with that guy. There were some wars there. And then I actually photographed them, the two of them wrestling, the uh, noble Sheik. I forget his name, but he puts on, you know, quality shows in Torrance, California. Pleasure for me, Baba. <laughs> yeah, that, that's Iron Sheik. Yeah, right, yeah. Oh, don't get me started on Howard Stern stuff. I have to dig out, even Joey would love these shots because I was WCW, one of the staff magazine photographers, the run of that. So when Vince Russo and WCW towards the end brought in the Howard Stern characters, like, um, oh God, uh, the, the, the kid that has uh, the African-American kid, what's his name? The, the missing teeth. It's been so long since he's been on with the, the shrunken head. Be- Beetlejuice. Beetle. Okay, Be- yeah. This is Beetle. Is as bad as can. He knows he's the best. This is Beetle. Is as bad as can. He knows. When he wore the Superman outfit and he's he's out there actually trying to wrestle Scott Steiner, or there were some other Howard Stern esque things. And uh, anyway, so. But uh, so I have those were like the Sheik's original trainees and I have them all green. And then we went to Memphis. That was the first place Sheik got him work. And then Sabu's driving the Sheik's infamous 60s limo, which started to fall apart at this time because he wouldn't fly. Sabu was kind of nervous about flying, which is why he and Matt Mibu later got a, a van to go all over the U.S. But Sheik had him, Sabu, you know, just fresh out of school. And he drove Sheik and I in the back, the limo, all the way from Detroit to ECW Arena. And uh, we, we actually, not ECW Arena, it was prior to that with the predecessor to ECW. That was Joel Goodhart's TWA. And I shot all those shows. But we're going up there. And then the Sheik asked me to try to get Sabu on the card. And it was one of the second to the last cards. And Sheik was in the main against Abby. And everybody in the planet was there. Eddie Gilbert and uh, Candido. And Kevin Sullivan had the match with Terry Funk. And Medusa was, uh, I introduced Medusa to her partner later that night, uh, Eddie Gilbert, who she ended up marrying for a second, maxing out his credit cards, leaving him. And Eddie told me all of this right to my face, me and Don Leibel through our face in the hotel room, but loaded with talent. Anyway, I, she can, I talk, sweet talk Joel into putting Sabu in the opener, which was a reverse battle Royal. And, uh, and that's how Sabu became nice. this hardcore. I, it was his first match ever in Philly. Nice. It was on nice. the precursor uh, TWA to ECW where Todd Gordon was uh, Joel Goodhart's lackey. Nice. And Todd went on to form, you know, Eastern Championship Wrestling, which, of course, after the Shane throwing the NWA belt down, screwing Dennis Coraluzzo over, it became extreme. And we'll have to talk more. Yeah. To get him, you back, Joey, at some point, because it's a blast. And you appreciate history. Sabu loves talking history. And the photos, you're going to want to see these photos. Sabu with short hair, not a scar on him. This was before he got all those scars in FMW. Yeah, let's yeah, let's definitely set it up. Yeah, I hate to cut it short, but I gotta I gotta get to these guys and start training them. Um, but yeah, thank you guys for having me. Jonathan wants you to plug the website. Is it yeah? Okay. Yeah, Um, and then you could definitely check out uh, SantinoBros.net for our uh, for you know if you want to learn how to train to be a wrestler. We have an upcoming show coming up on November twenty seventh. 
So if you can make it, uh, Dr. Mike, we'd love to have you there. Um, it's going to be it's going to be right by the school. It's going to be in Cudahy. Um, so it's just uh, right off the freeway. So you, if you can make it, that would be great. November 27th. Right um, and uh, check out SantinoBros.net. Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, and what else? I'm sorry. How about your wife's website? The Lucha. Oh, yeah. LuchaGirls.com. Check it out. If you're looking for customs wrestling, uh, check out LuchaGirls.com. As she would say it, it's Santino brother, slutty sister. Um, <laughs> but that, yeah, that's definitely what it is. Um, so definitely go ahead and check that out, guys. Appreciate you guys having I, me. No problem. Thank you for jumping on. And I will attend the show on the 27th, but I need first class travel and that 60s limo to bring me to the show. <laughs> <a> wonderful <laughs> purple chic limo. Right. Uh, the Indies. Buena suerte, mijo. Combate Kurasai in Japones. And don't worry about gozaimashite. On that note, thank you, gentlemen. All right, you guys take care. Have a good one. Be safe, guys. Hey, guys. Good night. is truly exciting and so glad that they are starting to make a positive impact. Little Bean Soapery is a woman-owned small business based in Northeast Pennsylvania. Little Bean Soapery does so much as all products are handcrafted and offer many different things for both men and women. Soaps, scrubs, body butters, bath bombs, solid cologne and much more. Little Bean Soapery also does things for special occasions such as birthdays, Mother's Day, Father's Day and special seasonal gift sets. But also, let's not forget large orders for party favors by request. The great things about all products is that they are crafted to be nourishing on the skin. If you wish to check them out, please feel free to visit littlebeansopery.com. Any questions, please feel free to also email littlebeansopery at gmail.com for custom inquiries and or ask anything else you wish. Tell them that Elena from Crazy Train Radio sends you. Hey there, it's Alan Troutman, Tarman from Return of the Living Dead. And if there's anybody you should listen to, it's me about listening to Crazy Train Radio. Go do it. Go away. Do it now. <laughs>